Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. The RCMP raids and arrests in Kingston, Ontario of two individuals related to a national security probe. One of youth faces terrorism-related charges. I spoke with Dr. Kristen Luprecht, Queen's University and Royal Military College professor and author of North American Strategic Defense in the 21st Century. Also joining me on the RCMP raids in Kingston, Ontario, was Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, retired, the former commanding officer of Canada's elite Joint Task Force 2, or JTF-2 military unit. And JTF-2 not only has international responsibilities, but also domestic counterterrorism responsibilities. Scott Newark is a former National and Ontario Security Advisor post 9-11, and I spoke with Mr. Newark about the developments in Kingston and the issue of the RCMP News Conference. In December of 2018, we did receive credible FBI information regarding an attack plot uh, with no specific time, date, or location affixed to it, uh, but it was an FBI information at that point. It was a very collaborative process. Uh, There was, as you heard, a number of uh, police and security agencies involved with this. Uh, The decision to arrest was not one because we have met any kind of uh, threat to public safety. At no time was there a threat to public safety. The decision to arrest was made strictly on the collection of evidence and accumulating a substantial amount of evidence that allowed us to charge. RCMP yesterday in uh, Kingston in their uh, statement and their news conference, and there have been quite a few comments about that particular news conference as uh, not providing much in the way of information and really not not answering questions that were being asked. All right. So uh, we did have the RCMP raids and arrests in uh, Kingston of two individuals related to a national security probe. One youth faces terrorism-related charges, while the other, a 20-year-old man, has been released. So we have three guests this hour with... uh, Somewhat different expertise and experiences, but all in the arena of terrorism, the military, and national security. We'll be speaking with Scott Newark, who was the uh, former National and Ontario Security Advisor post-9-11 and former Senior Policy Advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety. Scott's coming up later, as uh, will Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of Canada's elite Joint Task Force 2 military units. They have... Uh, counterterrorism responsibilities internationally and nationally. And Dr. Christian Luprecht is with us now, Queen's University and Royal Military College professor. He's the author of North American Strategic Defense, Security, and Sovereignty in an Uncertain World. Christian, thank you very much for the time. Uh, your thoughts on, on what's been developing in, uh, in Kingston, and one of the raids was just, what, two blocks from where you live? Uh, yes, I mean, and that's it comes a bit of a surprise, and even though the RCMP said that there was no risk to public safety, I mean, when you go in with the emergency response team and you could recover devices and uh, material that can be assembled as explosives, and one of the devices is so volatile that RCMP felt it necessary to neutralize it, that is to say, to blow it up in the parking lot across the street. Um, I mean, this was clearly a reasonably advanced plot that uh, even if they hadn't uh, figured out what their ultimate target 
it was, uh, if nothing else, presented a certain risk to the people living in the neighborhood because these are not really substances with which you want amateurs uh, experimenting, and that's why uh, we have severe uh, criminal code offenses uh, for these types of activities. Were you satisfied with how the RCMP presented the situation to Canadians yesterday? So, um, look, I think part of the challenge that the RCMP had, even though they claimed that this was not the case, is that I suspect they had to go early. By the, once the plane had been identified as an RCMP plane by both the local newspaper, the Kingston Standard, and the local television affiliate, CKWS, um, I think they had little choice, or they felt that uh, their, their hand was forced, and that on the one hand, um, who knows what the suspects might do if they think they're under surveillance, and on the other hand, uh, there's always the risk that once people are found out that they might decide to move from thought to action right then and there. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that might also explain why we only saw ultimately one individual uh, with uh, charges remaining. Um, and perhaps if there had been a longer and more thorough, uh, more protracted investigation, we might have seen more people charged with different types of offenses. So what would happen then in, in, uh, in that regard now, now that they've, they've been, the, the hand has been forced, if there, if there is more going on than what we've seen on the surface, if it's the proverbial iceberg, what, what happens now? So I think the uh, the Crown is going to have to proceed with the charges that they have. I think there's two dimensions to this. This may remain an ongoing investigation. So given that the tip came from the FBI, chances are that uh, the individual here in one way or another showed up uh, in some sort of probably electronic correspondence with someone that the FBI um, is monitoring somewhere in the United States or elsewhere in the world. And so that in itself may constitute sort of an ongoing surveillance, so security intelligence or possibly criminal intelligence um, operation, more likely criminal intelligence since the tip came from the FBI rather than the CIA. And this was immediately a national security investigation. Uh, The other is, of course, now that they've laid charges, uh, having a reasonable chance of securing a conviction. And my best hypothesis is the reason why they released the other individual, um, so the older gentleman, uh, 20 years of age, um, uh, is that uh, the, the Crown had good evidence, but perhaps felt that they needed more evidence. And you remember one of the charges that's, be, that's laid against the minors for counseling. And so I suspect what they may have done is they may have interviewed uh, the other suspect and may have uh, offered him a deal that they won't charge him in return for him uh, giving honest answers during the interview and subsequently testifying uh, against the first individual because it's difficult to imagine more robust evidence uh, than the person who is being counseled uh, showing up at trial and saying this is the individual who was counseling me to commit these offenses because the defense would then have to demonstrate that either uh, they, uh, the, the, the witness's testimony is either unreliable or that the witness is lying, which might be difficult in light of the material evidence evidence uh, that the Crown appears to have collected against uh, the person who remains incarcerated at this point. What about the uh, the FBI involvement? So I think there's a, it, it points to the fact that 
we in some ways continue to benefit as we have for decades from the fact that we live next door to the country with the largest intelligence apparatus in the world. And so inherently, the United States has so many more resources than we can bring to bear. They just simply also have a better chance of coming across something that just doesn't look right and then being able to track that uh, and alerting our allies. And this is not the first national security investigation in Canada that got started by a tip from the U.S., uh, and uh, the same is true for national security investigations in several other allied countries. And so it shows the close intelligence uh, and operative um, collaboration that we continue to have with the Americans. It also demonstrates the degree of trust that the Americans have in sharing very sensitive uh, criminal intelligence um, information with Canada, the trust that they have in um, working together with Canadians and the capacity of uh, Canadian law enforcement to then carry out uh, the operation. And I think part of that is a function of uh, the integrated national security enforcement teams that every major Canadian city has and into which the FBI and CIA are integrated. Um, and in the same way, we have uh, some liaison officers in some U.S. operations precisely to facilitate as expeditious and efficient and effective uh, an investigation as necessary in the interest of public safety. Will there be any um, any reason to perhaps think that this could wind out, wind up to be um, more, uh, more than just a, an Ontario or, or a Canadian issue. That it could end up being an international plot of some kind. Yeah, this could go one of two ways. There's a few curious statements that uh, were made yesterday by authorities. Uh, one is the emphasis on the collaboration with CBSA, the Canada Border Services Agency, and the interest in, uh, in in keeping the border safe and secure. So that may suggest that there's some cross-border linkage here of one form or another. That doesn't necessarily mean that these individuals had intended to attack a target in the United States. It might simply mean, for instance, that there's some illicit money flows or other types of uh, incitement, uh, electronic or by other means, uh, connections across the border, uh, something that we've seen before in these types of investigations. Um, uh, it's um, so. So that might be one of the uh, that might be one of the linkages. Um, another is, is uh, sorry, I got, I got thrown off my uh, my train of thought here. Oh, so we're talking about uh, whether it could be an international situation. And when you look at Kingston, its proximity to the United States, I mean, it's it's right there. Um, yeah, so uh, the, there was also the statement that there are no other states involved um, in this. So this is also ambiguous because it could be interpreted as saying this was not a state-sponsored plot. So that is, for instance, not directed by uh, known state sponsors of terrorism such as Iran. Or it could mean that there is no linkage to other uh, states or other countries such as the United States or other allies. So... Um, again, there might be some indication here that there were that there may possibly be other linkages, and it would suggest that. Look, I mean, if you have a minor, this is a pretty comprehensive plot, and you have a minor who uh, is allegedly have cooked all this up by himself, has procured the devices, is building the bombs in his basement, is apparently uh, doing surveillance or thinking about how uh, he could inflict a mass casualty event. 
uh, we know that from other situations of what's sometimes called lone wolf terrorists, even though you know we have some indication that there may be perhaps be other involvement, that these folks are really genuinely working alone. There are other people who are aware of what's going on because and because they sympathize, they don't say anything. There's people who provide financial support, even if it's small amounts of money. It doesn't take a lot of money to carry out these types of plots and attacks. Uh, and of course, that would be uh, uh, subject to uh, to prosecution. It might be people who are inciting that minor. Um, but we don't, of course, have a charge of association with a terrorist group. So it appears there's at least not sufficient evidence to demonstrate any linkages uh, with a terrorist organization. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't egged on or otherwise incited uh, in person uh, through the Internet or other sort of affiliations that he might have. Uh, so it may turn out that there is uh, that there are broader linkages, and perhaps in some of these cases, it's just not possible to bring charges if the individuals or linkages are in jurisdictions where either those charges we can't bring charges, or uh, because there are ongoing investigations in these other jurisdictions that might take a while to uh, unfold. Christian, if I can just take a step sideways from the issue, uh, the terrorism issue, and the raids in Kingston. And ask you for your thoughts on uh, Prime Minister Trudeau having asked uh, the Canadian ambassador, John McCallum, to resign. And Mr. McCallum uh, went along with that and offered his resignation. What are your thoughts? Um, look, I think uh, Mr. McCallum has a long history as an independent voice. I mean, he was a university professor earlier in his career, as well as a university administrator. Uh, he was subsequently uh, senior, held a senior post in the private sector with the Royal Bank, uh, then came in as minister and was, was known as an independent minister. And I think um, he felt that um, he had enough latitude to act in what he deemed to be Canada's best interest, but also in his judgment. And I think uh, the prime minister's office until this week felt that those comments and that judgment was sufficiently aligned with the government, but uh, clearly felt that the latest comments were uh, no longer aligned with the direction that the government would be taking on this matter. And remember, this is, of course, in election year. So if this goes sideways in any number of ways, as this uh, issue uh, has already seen how explosive it is, um, that this could have serious repercussions. And I think this comments that were made with regards to the United States, given the irritation that such comments could easily cause, given the current political executive uh, administration in the U.S., I think perhaps the prime minister's office felt that uh, uh, it was necessary to send a signal that Canada is not trying to uh, instruct the United States on how to run um, it's um, it's it's, prosecu it's prosecutorial approaches and policy is irritated, notwithstanding, as I think Canada is, with the uh, somewhat uh, political strategy that the U.S. has taken to essentially have Canada uh, do its political bidding by have by having uh, Meng Wanzhou detained here in Canada and extradited to the United States on charges that are clearly offenses under U.S. law. Uh, but still need to be established whether there are equivalent offenses under Canadian law under which she could be extradited. Okay. Thank you for the answer on that. Let me go back to the issue of uh, what's going on in Kingston and what has happened and what has been said. You, uh, in, our, in, in your answer to my question prior, just before the break, 
We're talking about uh, interesting questions that are being asked. And is a minor uh, someone who is uh, governed by youth criminal legislation in Canada, is that the person who really has potentially a leadership role in an alleged terrorism plot? What the next question, and, and, and you know, where's the, where's the possible connection? Who might be involved? Who may not? Who may? But then the question becomes for many people, they'll start asking, and, and, and I think with a degree of justification, was the, is, is there an issue here about refugee claimant vetting that took place in 2016? And you remember, that was a very controversial issue at the time, and probably will be again. Yeah, and I mean, we had a case also um, just earlier in the week of CBSA indicating that at least one Canadian had gotten a uh, permanent residency um, who was subsequently deemed a national security risk um, uh, and indicated that to the ministers. So it suggests that there are inherent sort of risks when you're trying to speed up um, the process for that many people in so short a period of time. The government clearly felt that those risks were managed and I think the agencies reallocated resources to the best of their ability, but the government also made it clear that they intended to meet the timeline that they had set. And so if you're not, uh, if you don't have a capacity to surge your resources dramatically and the government tells you we expect a certain number of people in a, uh, within that timeline, then you're going to have to make trade-offs on where you're going to invest your um, your screening and, and, and your ability to do more thorough checks. And uh, that might mean perhaps that um, uh, individuals may have gotten admitted who uh, subsequently would have perhaps be deemed inadmissible. At the same time, uh, you know, a lot can happen between, between then and now, especially if you think about the lives of teenagers. Uh, all of us who have children will know just how fickle uh, they can be from one year to the next in terms of changing their predispositions. And right. so this may not necessarily be linked to the security screening or the admissions process. Always good talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been my pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you, Roy. Dr. Christian Luprecht from Queen's University and... Uh, the uh, Royal Military College, again, his most recent book is North American Strategic Defense, Security and Sovereignty in an Uncertain World. A good read at this time, particularly. All right, so let's talk to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, retired now, former commanding officer of Canada's elite JTF-2 military unit. The Government of Canada description of JTF-2 is this, extremely high readiness and precise special operations forces unit. JTF-2 exists to protect the Canadian national interests and combat terrorism and threats to Canadians at home and abroad. And it's that at-home uh, reality or definition or description which sets Joint Task Force 2 uh, aside from many other uh, international or national special forces outfits, military outfits. They have domestic responsibilities this way. As well, uh, Colonel Day, thank you so much for joining us. I want to mention as well that you're the uh, founder and president of Radical Ventures Canada. It's been a while since we've talked. It has been, Roy, and uh, Happy New Year to you and all your listeners in uh, early 2019. Well, thank you as well. We, we decided, by the way, it's okay to say Happy New Year until the 31st of January. Then it has to stop. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what, uh, let me ask you for your assessment, please, of the situation in Kingston, and through what lens do you view the issue of a terrorism threat in Canada? Right, so maybe just for a little bit of context right off the bat, Roy, I live in Kingston, 
and I actually used to own a house in that neighborhood uh, where the the two people were arrested. So I do have a little bit of a unique perspective on Kingston and that that neighborhood. And what I would suggest on these latest arrests, based on what is currently available um, from what the authorities are stating, is my assessment is that they had to probably uh, action the arrests sooner than planned. And I would say that based on the nature of the charges and the fact that one of the individuals was released. And so my assessment is there's going to be more that unfolds as this continues, but I am not at all concerned about safety or security for Canadians, the terrorism threat in today. It's just I think the media, quite frankly, on, on this case, dropped the ball, and I can explain a little bit why that is. Please do. So when you look at the significant reporting in the media, including the tail number of the plane that was flying, quite frankly, too low over Kingston in the weeks preceding that arrest, and the fact that the media continued to highlight this low-flying plane and you know, brought attention to that, as we know, most perpetrators are paranoid people, uh, people who've got an axe to grind, are always looking for threats where there are no threats. So my assessment is this uh, arrest had to uh, proceed quickly because the, they were concerned that the perpetrators were going to lift and shift and go somewhere else. Why would the plane be necessary? Uh, would they not have on-the-ground assets that they could that they could use? I mean, people are going to ask questions about a plane that's flying low over a city repeatedly. Absolutely. No, and I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't ask the question. I would suggest that when the questions are asked and then the answer from the government of Canada or whoever is given, that it should be just then left alone. And the media, in this case, should be smart enough to appreciate that there are things that need to happen to safeguard our, our safety and security and our way of life. And just I look at the National Post, I look at the CBC, I look at the Kingston Whig Standard, and quite frankly, they may have, and I don't say definitively will have, but they may have um, compromised this case or compromised the discovery of a wider network. That, in this case, is what really uh, concerns me, is the fact that this wasn't allowed to unfold over enough of a length of the time to make sure we can identify all the other networks that uh, the perpetrators were connected to. The fact that CBSA, Canadian Border Services Agency, and FinTrack, which is our financial tracking organization for criminal activity, were named um, publicly as part of the ongoing investigation, leads me to believe that this was much farther reaching than just a simple lone wolf. I was just speaking with Dr. Christian Luprecht from uh, Queens and Royal Military College, and he um, asked the question or or was talking about the uh, questions will be asked about whether a young a youth who falls under under youth justice in Canada, could really be the alleged leader of uh, a terrorist activity. And then, you know, you, you, you have to look further and beyond. What do you see happening now, Colonel Day? What's, what's likely to happen? Well, I think, you know, obviously they, they have the, the youth incarcerated right now. We're going to work through that part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that will help the investigators to continue to figure out what that network, if it exists, might look like. But uh, again, my, my concern is, generally speaking, these are cellular networks. Generally speaking, even the self-radicalized are trying to connect to others. And just because this 
plot or the arrest came down so quickly, which was very fast, by the way. Like this was, you're talking inside 30 days from notification from the FBI to RCMP action. That tells me that they were probably concerned, due to the media relating, that they were going to either scare him or them away. And uh, that's why I'm just looking at this going, there's, there's more to this story than what we know right now. Yeah. And it was probably just because of the speed of the arrests. What would, uh, in a circumstance, when it comes to uh, national security and uh, domestic counterterrorism activities or actions, where would Joint Task Force 2 come into play? Well, in this particular case, they would, again, would be aware of it, absolutely, as, as there are hundreds of different threat vectors and ongoing investigations that the national security apparatus writ large is investigating or studying on any given day. Um, but this one, as I look at it, would, would you know, my former organization be aware of it? Uh, yes. Would they be concerned about it? Not really, because, again, you've got the RCMP, you've got the Kingston Police Force, and a great shout-out to my local hometown uh, uniformed officers there. And as we saw, they did a remarkable job on the arrest. Again, I'm less concerned about that tactical impact, because, you know, our law enforcement, by and large, do a great job day-to-day. I'm more worried about the strategic impact of us not understanding uh, how we need to safeguard our way of life. Could you expand expand on that a little bit? Are we talking again about media uh, responsibility, at least partly? I, I'm talking about, well, yeah, the media is part of it, but I, I would argue as well it comes back to a grossly under-resourced national security apparatus. As we heard, as, as the officials have stated, you're talking over 300 officers, thousands and thousands of hours of investigative horsepower to track down and observe and monitor one person. That's just one teenager. You can well imagine with the active cases that go on in this country on any given day, the apparatus is grossly under-resourced to be able to do that. We do not have enough border screening officers. We do not have enough people in CSIS, CBSA, doing those things that we need them to do to make sure these folks don't flip into the country. This is something you and I have talked about before. And uh, when we've talked about it, somehow the the general umbrella has been uh, the the work of politicians or the commitment of uh, to an issue as opposed to a political party. At least that's my interpretation. How would you rate the job that politics are doing in uh, dealing with a terror threat in this country? If we're under-resourced, and we have we have money for other uh, we have money for other uh, endeavors. We know that because it's being spent. Um, how would you rate the job that I say politics as opposed to politicians are, are doing right. in and, dealing and, with and, a threat? Right, and, and again, I paint both parties with this brush, like the conservatives and the liberals. Mm-hmm. There is a whole lot of talk and very little action on either governments. Um, for properly resourcing our national security actors. We see it time and time again. And what I would say with respect to the current government, they are grossly being outplayed on every national security and public safety issue. If you look at what is going on just with the China situation, if you look at what's going on with Russia, um, there's just we're being outplayed consistently in that global geopolitical space. And that has an implication when you have no hard power to back it up or you don't bring anything to the fight. And Canadians and, and Canada 
is a first world nation, we can do better. And I know you and I have talked about this. We absolutely need to start doing better. The world is very, very complex, interconnected, and activities in one space bleed over into others. We just uh, announced, or the government, the military just announced, that uh, the Polaris refueling plane is going to be coming back to Canada, uh, not engaged in in operations to refuel uh, coalition planes in the fight against ISIS. And and we're back to uh, the explanation of, well, they were not really needed in, 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 in this regard. Uh, I looked at that and I thought, boy, that sounds like a couple of years ago. It, it is a replay of that. And the other side of that uh, discussion as well is we are very limited on our refueling capability within Canada. And the more cycles that you put on those airframes, the quicker they come to their end of life. So when the Canadian forces, Canadian Armed Forces, start looking at cycles on airframes, and you can, you can look at the CF-18 debacle that's, that's still unfolding. Right. From a, from a big, big picture perspective, you have to start asking yourself, having that one plane over there, having that one plane as part of a coalition flag, is it delivering the effect that we need for the cost? And at this point in time, I would say it probably is not because we know if we start losing our, our air, air refueling capability as a country, as we've seen with our ships, it takes us years and decades to replace that capability. Yeah, we can always buy something used from Australia, though. We, we could buy it, probably buy it again <laughs> like we bought stuff from the, from the Brits, our other great allies. Now, they, were, they have some uh, submarines for sale, I understand. Anyway, it's a very serious issue, and uh, Colonel Day, I also appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about it and uh, your, get your understanding and your, your frankly, very straightforward uh, positions and points of view and expressions of those positions and points of view. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roy. I always enjoy engaging with yourself as well and your, your listeners. Have a great uh, great Saturday. Yeah, you too. Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, former commanding officer of Joint Task Force 2. He's the president and founder of uh, Radical Ventures Canada, R-E-T-I-C-L-E. Scott Newark joins us, former national security uh, policy advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety, also as executive officer to the Canadian uh, Police Association, and uh, was an advisor to the federal and provincial. You have so many, so much. Former Crown Prosecutor, don't you? Yeah, that's right, former Crown Prosecutor. You uh, you wear so many hats, my friend. What are your thoughts about the arrests in Kingston? And I want to ask you about the RCMP news conference yesterday, because I know you have thoughts on that. Well, first of all, I think the most important thing is that uh, it's good news that it was based on a uh, preventive operation rather than a reactive one. Because one of the, the realities uh, when you're dealing with uh, terrorism, unlike criminal justice, the metric of success is prevention, not prosecution. So that's a, that's a positive, that this was actually uh, something that happened, that the RCMP were able to intervene and uh, uh, prevent something uh, from happening. Um, the, uh, the media uh, briefing, I suppose, that took place yesterday, I must admit I had my head shaking. Uh, there was, as so many people have now commented on, uh, you know, the RCMP once again twisting themselves into pretzels to not uh, offend anybody, and all of the things that they uh, couldn't comment on. I thought the best part of it was a, qu a question uh, from uh, Stuart Bell from Global who actually asked, and he said, uh, well, okay, um, what's the, uh, uh, the ideological group that's the motivator of this? And the RCMP uh, superintendent uh, uh, blinked a couple of times, and he goes, well, I can't answer that. 
And then Stewart goes, why not? I remember that. And the guy looked like the deer caught in the headlights kind of thing, and it exposed it, because there has to be something uh, for it to meet the evidentiary standard for a, a terrorist activity. And the one person that is charged is charged with facilitating a terrorist activity. So it was, I mean, it was awkward, I think, obviously, for the RCMP. Uh, there was a lot of things uh, that uh, legitimately people ask questions, should be asking questions about. But, you know, the one that struck me as well, too, uh, Roy, was uh, here we go again. Once again, what was the source for Canadian uh, uh, law enforcement and security uh, officials of th- that there was a potential threat? The FBI. Reminds me of the Aaron Driver case, the guy in uh, London. That same information came from the FBI about activities going on in Canada. So, I mean, and the RCMP has never had to answer that. How is it that the Americans were able to be aware of this and we weren't? Yeah. And I think that that's a legitimate issue that arises out of this case, too. All right, so you're a senior policy advisor to a federal minister for public safety. Now, when when you have a situation like the RCMP providing those uh, non-answers yesterday, could part of that be, and, and I'm just sort of looking back to what uh, our two previous guests uh, this hour uh, talked about, certainly Dr. Luprecht did, uh, in more in, in some detail, and that is, could they have been doing what they were doing, being so concise with what they were saying, because there's concern about it, that maybe this is a, there's a wider operation, more, yes. a, 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 a greater terrorist threat still ongoing, though this might have been part of. Yes, that that is certainly possible. I mean, you got the involvement, they noted the involvement of uh, CBSA and FinTrack, yet on the basis of the facts of these two individuals, there doesn't seem to be any connection in relation to that. And these particular kinds of activities, I mean, I must admit, um, the, uh, when I read the interviews uh, actually uh, today of the individual, uh, Hussam al-Zahabi, uh, who was the 20-year-old that was actually released, uh, there's absolutely no question he exercised terrible judgment. But having bad judgment is not the same thing as committing a crime. And um, there is obviously, I think, legitimate uh, issues as to whether or not there are other people involved, whether it was in acquiring the precursor explosives uh, materials, or if there were other activities uh, that were ongoing that are still under investigation. That, that is the point with these kinds of cases, is that you, uh, you, know, you want to make sure that in whatever you do, you don't compromise the effectiveness of being able to stop what uh, is actually going on, which I must admit... The uh, uh, the fact that the uh, uh, the RCMP were flying a surveillance plane over the city of Kingston. I mean, look, people groups use different kinds of uh, surveillance equipment, but the one standard, unless it's intended as uh, counterintelligence, is that you you know want to make sure that your surveillance uh, methods aren't actually detected. And in this case, it made it to national news. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that, and I still am thinking about it. When you have entire neighborhoods saying, what's going on? How come that plane's over here every yeah. every night? It's the same one. How come it's crisscrossing? Why is it here? Yeah, and if they noticed it, you can almost be certain that the uh, individuals that were the targets of the surveillance noticed it or, uh, you know, read the news. And there is that, uh, that is something that is part of a, a, a fairly common feature is that the people who are engaged in this are, you know, have got the tinfoil on their heads and are paranoid uh, right from the outset. Uh, of course, in this instance, it actually was about legitimate surveillance. Yeah. But I, I, that's something as well, too, that I must admit raised an eyebrow for me. Yeah. Scott, thank you for the time today. We'll talk again tomorrow. We have a different issue, but uh, All right, Roy. important one. Thank you. Scott Newark, former 
security advisor to the federal and Ontario government's professor at Simon Fraser University now. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 